Hi, everyone. This is Scott from Prepare to Answer. I want to share some news with you about an exciting new resource that we've created called So Much More Than Sex. It's no secret that the subject of sex is one of the biggest concerns for young Christians today. That's why we've created So Much More Than Sex for senior teens and young adults. It's a four-part video series, complete with notes and discussion questions, that you can do with your young adults class, small group, or even on your own. The point of the series is to help you shift the narrative about sex away from seeing biblical teaching as little more than an outdated list of do's and don'ts, and replacing it with the overwhelmingly positive, life-giving, and eternally significant vision that the Bible gives for your sexually ordered body. If you want to get in on the So Much More Than Sex series, just follow the link in the episode description. And now we turn to today's episode. When you're sharing your faith, do you sometimes find you don't have an answer? Welcome to another Prepared to Answer podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and I want to invite you to join Scott as he discusses three principles to help you communicate the gospel effectively, even when facing questions that are difficult to answer. The manner in which we respond is just as important in, of, uh, as what we say. That gentleness and respect, and Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, he says that the Lord's servant uh, must be kind, not quarrelsome. So, so that we want to be winsome in our witness, even as we're defending, even if people are rude to us, that we're not rude in response, and that we don't get on the defense. Um, we're defending, but we're not defensive. So how would you respond to questions like, I don't believe that God exists because there's no proof. All religions basically teach the same thing, so no one should push their own particular beliefs on anyone else. The Bible's full of contradictions and errors, so how can you believe that what it says is true or really happened? When questions like that come up, usually right away it puts us on the hot seat. And I don't know about you, but when I'm on the hot seat, that's when I tend to get defensive and can get agitated. And I won't take any credit for for any of the ideas here, but what I want to talk to you about is really learning how to respond even if you don't have all the scientific proofs at your fingertips. Maybe you've not studied or read in those areas, or you're not an expert in comparative religions, so you can't speak to that kind of statement, or you're not a textual critic, you're not a New Testament scholar, so how can you possibly hope to to dissuade the idea that there are contradictions and errors in the, in the Bible. Well, again, going back to our, our first Peter text, we want to be able to give a response. And gentleness and respect, we've talked about that and our need in the manner to give this verbal response. Giving people the reasons of why behind the what of our faith, behind what we believe, and giving them a good reasoned explanation. But just to talk about what, our, what apologetics isn't, it's not getting into arguments with people. I'm not interested in winning an argument, even though it, it might involve making an argument. Sometimes I feel as though uh, in apologetics, what, what Christians really want is just to be able to put people in their place. And I don't think that's our goal. It, ever, it never is. As Peter said, gentleness and respect is our manner. We don't just want to win debates. 
or win points. Uh, as Paul said, we gently instruct, and it's not about getting the intellectual upper hand of showing how smart we are as Christians. Even if you are smart, and you know what? If you're a smart person and God's given you an intellect, he's given us all an intellect, by the way. We're not all intellectuals, but he's given us all an intellect. And to the extent that God has given you an intellect, you ought to use it for his glory and for his purpose. But we don't use it just to get the upper hand over people because our motive is always love. When I think about apologetics primarily, what are we seeking to do? And what I want to do when I'm talking to someone is really whatever barrier is in the way of them considering the truth claims of Christianity, I want to help to the extent that I'm able to remove that barrier. And so, so where do we begin? So what I want to just do is give you, I think, three principles for no matter who you are or, or what your education level is or, you know, or how much book knowledge you have. These are principles that, that we can all use in being obedient to our call to give an answer, to respond, to, to be ambassadors for Christ. Uh, the first is this, is to always check your motives first. The second is to learn to ask good questions, and we'll talk a little bit about this. I think that this is a skill that every Christian can learn, and this is a skill, uh, as with any skill, we learn by practicing. But if you can learn to do this well, you can be a very effective witness for Christ, even if you don't have degrees behind your name. And the last thing is to try and leave a pebble in their shoe. And again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give uh, uh, credit to one of my favorite apologists, who's Greg Kokel, who coined the term, put a pebble in their shoe. And here, you know what we mean by that. How many of you have ever been on a hike and you've gotten a pebble stuck in your shoe? Doesn't hurt, does it? But it's just kind of, it bugs you, right, over time. You just want to stop and get your shoe off. But if you can't, if you're on a date and you're trying to impress someone, so you're not going to take off your shoes. It's just there and it's always gnawing away. And, and that's what we mean by a pebble. We want to plant an idea that God can use to go to work on someone's heart and mind. Just a quick word about checking your motives. Paul said this, in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, you know, and if I, if I have multiple degrees, and if I read all the apologetic expert books, and I can silence any argument, and I can answer any question, but if I do not have love, this is quite a statement. And I'm nothing. What's the motivation for whoever's standing in front of us that we want to bear witness to, even if they're hostile toward us? We've got to love them, see them through the eyes of Christ. So first, check your motives. Do that, should do that every day. Check your heart before the Lord. The second is learning to ask good questions. And, you know, here's, here's just an example of what we mean there's some you know there's some general questions that you can always be ready with and here's the beauty about questions questions are disarming as opposed to direct statements you ask a question and you ask it genuinely you're implicitly showing a person or communicating to them that you're really interested in them you're interested in what they think 
And incidentally, you should be. The last thing we want to do is if someone challenges us with a question like this, the last thing we want to do is start spewing out an answer to that question and then find out at the end that that wasn't the question. Has that ever happened to you? That happened to me once. It was a cute story, I'll, I'll sidebar. When my son was five, uh, I have a daughter now who's 17 and a son who's 13. When he was five, as a family, we went to the, the mall. Uh, we were at the Winners, you know, in the, park, the box stores. And the girls wanted to go into Winners and look for some things. And the boys wanted nothing to do with that. So we sat in the car. And I was having a good talk with my son. And we were talking about, you know, things about the Lord, which, I, which was great. I'm like, I'm so glad we've had this time talking about, you know, the Bible and the, the stories he's been learning and we've been talking about and, and Jesus, and it was just terrific. There was a pause, and, and then he suddenly said from the back, he said, Dad, why are we here? And I said, like, that is the greatest question of all. He said, we're here because God has created us to know him. He wants us to be his children, to live with him forever. Isn't that fantastic? He said, no, Dad, why are we here in the parking lot? Asking, learning to ask good questions accomplishes so many things. It shows a person you're interested. It takes you out of the hot seat. You don't have to have all the answers. But if you can learn to ask good questions, it puts you in the driver's seat of the conversation. And... It also helps to clarify, right? So, so I think one of the best questions you can learn to ask in response to a difficult challenge or a difficult question like this, there's no evidence that God exists. First question should be a clarifying question. What do you mean by that in general is a good question. What do you mean? Because that gets the person talking to explain more fully. That gives you understanding into exactly what it is. What's the objection? What's the barrier? So to this person, I'd say, what do you mean by evidence? Well, then they could start giving examples. Well, there's no scientific evidence. Well, actually, there's lots of good evidence. Uh, so to find out what they mean... Another great question to ask, again, to take you out of the hot seat so you're not having to continually try and come up with all the answers, is how did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to the conclusion that there's no evidence? And what this allows you to do is to begin listening to the person's thought processes and to see if there are any gaps. Is there any, is there any faulty reasoning in their own reasoning? And that might help you understand what you need to address. What evidence have you considered? Is there any evidence at all that you've considered? And in your mind, what would count as sufficient evidence for God? I had a young lady, at, again, speaking at a university, and afterwards she came up, she said, I'm not a Christian. Um, I said, oh, well, it's nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here anyway. She said, so... Uh, I don't believe in God because there's not enough evidence. And I asked this question. I said, so, okay, what would it take? What evidence would convince you? She said, if Jesus appeared to me right here, right now, then I'd believe in him. And I realized, no, no, you wouldn't. 
because Jesus did come. And the reality is uh, her, her worldview foundation was already built on a worldview without God. So if Jesus actually appeared, she would find an explanation for herself as to what this is. Illusion, a delusion, wouldn't be enough. But it's worth asking. It, it, it did open up a conversation and we were able to talk a little longer. In your mind, what would count as sufficient evidence? So, so just learning to ask probing questions. All religions basically teach the same thing. In response to that, I'd ask a variation of the what do you mean question. That's really interesting. What same thing would you say that they're all teaching? That just, that's just what do you mean in, in another way. What, what is the same thing that you're referring to? Help me understand that. Elucidate that for me. Would you say you know a lot about world religions then? You must have studied world religions a lot. Well, no. Sometimes the more questions you ask, you realize that many people that are very vocal about maybe opposition to Christianity or religion in general um, are, are opposed to it, but it's not really because they have thought critically or thoughtfully about arguments for or against. They've just heard it so many times. All religions teach the same thing. All religions teach, ultimately all faiths point to the same direction. They've heard it so many times that they just take it to be a fact. Everybody just knows. I don't know how many times people say to me things that everybody just knows. Well, that's only because everybody just keeps saying it. But why? Would you say you know a lot about religions, world religions then? Well, no, I've never really studied world religion. Okay. Um, could you un- explain to me then how you can confidently make that statement? Would you consider yourself a religious person? This to me would be just a question, a worthwhile question to help steer the conversation, to find out what their spiritual state is. I want to know about this person. What, what's making them tick? What's going on in their heart? And you might find out a lot of things. Oh, I used to be. Family used to be religious. You might find out a lot. That would be really helpful. And here's what the, the third one. The Bible's full of contradictions and errors. How can you believe anything that it says is true? Again, what do you mean? What do you mean by errors? Help me understand. What kinds of errors are you speaking about? Do you have any particular contradictions or errors in mind? I'd be interested to, to know which ones you're referring to. See if they even have some, and they might. Do you think that we can be confident that other historical books are truthful? Because the Bible is ultimately an historical book. Like it's an ancient text, one of many ancient texts, right? It's from the same era as, you know, Cicero and the Roman Chronicles, history about Julius Caesar, Roman historians like Tacitus, Jewish historians like Josephus, is all contemporary with particular the New Testament writings. Do you think those can be trusted as factual? And if we can trust those, why can't we trust the Bible? So just probing with questions, learning to ask good questions. And and ultimately, the person we learn best from is Jesus. Jesus was the master of, of perfectly placing a question 
in response to a question. Right? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life in Mark chapter 8? Jesus responds with a question. Why do you call me good? What's going on in your mind? What is your understanding of goodness and as a human being, our capacity to obtain it or attain it? What's going on? Why do you call me good since God alone is good? Challenging the assumptions behind the question. We do that by asking good questions. And then the last is just trying to leave a pebble in their shoe. And this really is, this is really somewhere where if you've never done any reading in apologetics, um, but you're interested to become equipped, you know, how would I respond to something like this about scientific evidence, like evidences for God's existence? Then, you know, I can't download all that information for you in an hour. You need to become a student to find good sources uh, so that you can, you can be equipped with some good pebbles that you can begin leaving in people's shoes. So here's, here's an example. Uh, there's no evidence that God exists. Here's a really simple one. And again, I'm not a scientist, but I like to read those who are. And I know enough, just about enough to get myself in trouble. But I do know enough to be able to at least point to some things and say, look at, there's some things going on in the physical world that clearly point to something beyond just mere chance and necessity, as would be the explanation that would be the naturalistic evolutionary explanation, the explanation from naturalism. I don't think any of these things are terribly profound. I think they're just kind of common sense, but they're very practical. That, that we don't have to have, you know, all kinds of degrees and, and all the rest. We don't have to be really old. We can be talking to our friends at school or in our neighborhood. We can be good ambassadors. We can defend and present a good defense of our faith and help people begin to think about their ultimate beliefs. What is it that they believe? I think particularly in a, as we referred to it as the, in the beginning, in a post-Christian culture where witness, where 30 or 40 years ago, witness looked like this. It, it meant proclaiming the gospel, the, the, the main points of the salvation message of Jesus to people who already basically understood the basic outline of the Christian message because our culture was just much more, I guess, Christian-y back then. But today, you know, the people you rub shoulders with, the people you go to school with, some of them have never even picked up a Bible. There's no, there's no shared understanding of a shared narrative or a shared text. Nothing's shared, right? So our witness is very much more reflective of, I think, in a lot of ways, the last 30 or 40 years, our witness was more reflective of the early Jews who became Christians who were witnessing in Jerusalem and around Judea. And they were speaking to people who they had a shared text and a shared vocabulary with. I think our witness today is more aligned, more akin to Paul in Acts chapter 17 when he's speaking to the Athenians. There's no shared text. There's no shared 
di- you know, um, vocabulary, what Paul actually does is he borrows or leans on their own poets and his observations of their own practices to begin asking questions that cause them to question themselves what their ultimate beliefs are. One of the greatest witnesses, I think, the greatest means of witness that you can have with your friends in this generation is to begin to get them to think critically about what they believe and why they believe it as you live out and profess your faith in Jesus. Planting a pebble in their shoe that the Holy Spirit can use to go to work and, and start to unravel the, the darkness and the worldview of deception that, as Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 2, that they have been taken captive by the devil. That's how he speaks of unbelievers in this world. There, yes, every unbeliever is, is in rebellion, in sinful rebellion against God, just as we were apart from Christ. So there's, there's, of course, that perspective of willful resistance to the things of God. But at the same time, Paul uses this, this language of captivity. That your friends and my friends outside of Christ are captive to Satan and his deception. And which should always evoke for us a sense of compassion. But it means that one of the things we want to do as good witnesses is to help them to begin to question that, that system of lies that has them in captivity that Satan's using to keep them there and prayerfully then asking the Holy Spirit and trusting him to go about doing his work. This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at at preparedtoanswer. Or contact us directly by email at info at preparedtoanswer.org. May the Lord bless and keep you.